Welcome to the Future Proof Podcast from the north of England with Sarah Hall and Stephen Waddington. We'll be talking about what's hot and what's not on the internet in marketing, the media and public relations. Hi, Sarah. Afternoon, Stephen. Shall we start with BrewDog? It's all kicking off on Twitter. Oh, we're going straight in. You normally do a little bit of a preamble. Uh, well, let's talk about BrewDog, FA, PRCA Census, Cision Media Report, and a bit about local politics. Does that sound all right? Sounds good to me. But BrewDog first, because BrewDog is heating up on Twitter. Well, yeah, and so it should be. I am really proud of Alex Myers from Manifest. He's mate of yours, right? He's been... Well, I like to count him as such. He contributed to Future Proof, a really great chapter in that. Uh, quite brave in terms of thinking. Uh, and they're a little bit out there, and you can see that from their positioning. But... Now he's brave kicking off on Twitter. Yeah, and I think it's What's uh, he done? well overdue in the industry. They've worked with BrewDog in the past. They've developed concepts for them. And it seems that BrewDog um, have said, thanks, but no thanks, we don't like that creative route we're going to do something different and then lo and behold a few months later Alex has spotted it the creative coming out and has called them out on Twitter quite publicly and, and so we should yeah so this is a it's about a new alcohol uh, non- free beer isn't it alcohol free beer or pale ale or something pale ale um, Alex's agency proposed a name for it and brand for it uh, that name has been used in the final product by the sound of it uh, or by the look of it it's plain to see yeah, takes some nerve. Does this happen a lot in your experience? I think it happens quite a bit. It's that difficult bit where, you know, you can develop quite a number of routes and you might not get chosen at the end, but you see your creative proposal or an iteration of it being played out and it's very difficult to know what to do. Now, I work in the northeast, small marketplace. I have seen it happen in the past, but you don't ever want to muddy the waters because, you know, it's like a village around here. But perhaps you know, this is what we need to do as an industry. We're forever being told that PR needs to PR itself and we need to be more confident. And I think perhaps people will t- treat us with a bit more respect if we stand up and uh, protect what we do a bit better. So it's about it... IP. It's like, this is about okay. our intellectual property. So, so BrewDog claims the ideas were created by, uh, under under a retainer relationship with Manifest. Uh, Alex says they weren't. Um we do give our work away for free, though, don't we, in pictures? I think this is a really big problem. I can talk very much for years from a, from a northeast perspective. Agencies kind of shot themselves in the foot because when it came to proposal time, rather than just producing creds, um, we went a little bit further, and then you would develop campaign uh, concepts and proposals. It's a really tricky business. Um, I don't think it does, does us any favours, that it does the client or the prospect a, a disservice. Often the brief you get... Certainly my experience isn't actually what the client wants or needs at the end of the day, and it's up to us to interrogate that. But rightly so, only when we've been appointed. Otherwise, you're doing an awful lot of work for free, and and that does not put you in a very healthy position commercially. So we can slap copyright on anything that we produce in a pitch situation. We can even put a cost against it if the client wants to buy the IP. How's this situation going to end up, though? No, it's it's a Twitter scroll, right? Well, yeah, I'm not sure how this is going to to end up, but um, hopefully... Um, there'll be a strong discussion and they'll, they'll be able to find a way to work it out. Across the industry, we have to get better, though, at making sure that people value our ideas, not just execution. I banged on about the drum about PR as a strategic management function. It's all about the thinking. It's all about how are we helping organisations achieve their objectives. 
yes, the tactical execution is really key, but they've done an awful lot of thinking. They've done, you know, in this in this um, instance, I'm pretty sure that Manifesto would have done a whole heap of insight into the audience base and made sure that that brand and the execution absolutely married with, with what those people needed. So we've got to think about that. And, and how do we genuinely, how do we make people value and be prepared to pay for the thinking rather than expect it for free? Yeah, and there's, therein lies the problem because there's always going to be an agency prepared to um, work more scrappy, perhaps uh, with less rigor and provide ideas for free. Yeah, and I guess it's back to the how do we how do we prove our value and show the commercial um, output is thanks to the work that we've done. It's, it's kind of closing that gap through evaluation, I guess. Um, let's move on. The business is booming, according to the PRCA census that was published this month. Fifteen billion, well, fourteen point nine billion pound agent um, market in the UK now, employing ninety five thousand people. Much of the data is, is similar to the CIPR state, the profession survey that was published earlier in the year it covers issues such as diversity and mental health and and many of the findings are the same there is one difference though and it's a stark difference in that the the prca census reports that salaries are down across the sector by seven to eight percent depending whether you're agency in-house or freelance whereas the cipr reported them as flat now i picked this up with francis ingham francis said um, he believes it's attributable to to um, scaling in the industry and younger people joining at lesser salaries and the senior salaries aren't, aren't keeping pace. So we're growing, but we're growing at junior le- entry level, not senior level. Yeah, it was an upbeat report, though. It was quite... You know. No, it's really... I mean, it's good. The size of the industry in the UK is, you know, it's it's 15 billion... You know, it's it's an industry now that aligns aligns with other creative industries in terms of size and scale, uh, and perhaps you know that's an opportunity in in being taken more seriously by government and other organisations, and uh, because of the scale of the business. Yeah, all good. Yeah, any highlights for you? I uh, no, not really. I just was really interested um, again as ever, particularly because of the forthcoming launch of Socially Mobile to look at the diversity and inclusivity element to it. Um, it just tells us what we already know. We need to do better. Um, need to do better. Yes. Yeah, so, so the diversity, the index on the index indices on BAME employment and on the industry don't seem to be changing. We are making big shifts towards addressing the gender pay gap, but that issue of, of BAME and social mobility just doesn't seem to be. Uh, we don't seem to be making an impact. Yeah, I had a really good meeting with um, Melissa at the Taylor Bennett Foundation. The She's day. the new CEO, right? That's right. And um, she was talking to me about doing more um, data analysis uh, in terms of the people that come through there, in terms of socioeconomic status. So that will also help in terms of contextualising the issue and what needs to be done. So I'm looking forward to working with her going forward. It, it, so it strikes me that you know there's very clearly uh, a need a commercial need and an, actually an absolute imperative to address the gender pay gap and gender issues within agency. That imperative doesn't exist though around necessarily around um, diversity or social economic inclusivity. 
it's great for an agency or an employer to stick a badge on its site saying we're addressing this but you know it seems that a lot of the work must be lip service because it's actually not making a difference yeah and i think um, one of the things that melissa and i talked about just yesterday actually was um the investment that it takes from uh, an organization's point of view because um melissa was saying oh it's very easy to make a difference you just recruit more BAME candidates and they are out there and i kind of get that but equally have from an employer's perspective i know how much time it takes in terms of if you want to reorder or, or change your process in terms of recruitment if you want to start blind recruitment you have to think about the time that that takes you need to do it properly you need new processes because it, it needs to be robust and sustainable and apart from anything you also need to think about investment because if you bring people in for example who are talented but may have left school at 16 their training needs are very different to someone who may well have been through uh, a Russell Group University and come out with a 2-1 or above different needs but you need to think about that because the levels of investment are they're going to be quite big quite stark uh, and it take it does take time and effort and if you're a big agency and you're focused on margin that will, you know, maybe it does drop down the agenda. Either way, I don't care. It's something we need to deal with. We talk about PR, you know, that teams needing to represent the audiences that they serve. We clearly don't. And um, yeah, now's the time. Not yes, if not yesterday. A really interesting side hustle going on by uh, that that's been undertaken by Daryl Sperry over at Hotwire. Um, he's trying to pull together a list of people over 60 he's aiming to get 60 people over 60 in the PR industry it's all a bit orcs though isn't it still practicing uh, it is orcs because people don't necessarily want to self-identify as being over 60 and some people are very well preserved and, and some people aren't <laughs> so you just don't know I mean how do you know <laughs> well um, so he's so anyway a- I've been sending um, messages by direct message <laughs> so he can do all the dirty work so if it backfires it's all on him brilliant initiative though Daryl. oh it's we a brilliant you. initiative and you know it, it, one of these lovely things that started over, and it's a, absolutely right. Too. Started with a conversation on Twitter. Uh, Daryl's trying to prove a point that you know, uh, and, and and spotlight diversity in the industry at, at senior levels, and he's struggling. There you go. Help him out. Find him on Twitter and nominate someone that's over sixty. I wanted to pick up the Cision Media Report. So Cision, a big tool vendor in the industry, surveyed. 2,000 journalists from across its database in 10 markets. There aren't m- many surprises in, in this data. You know, journalists are doing more with, more with less. Um, there's less planning in newsrooms. They're reliant on PR more than ever, but PRs are, are media relations people are mistargeting content, uh, spamming content. There were a couple of really good insights in it, though, that suggested that you know, not only should you research a publication when you're, you're, when you're submitting a, a pitch, but if you can root your story and provide some either SEO or social media data to show that your story is going to resonate with the audience the readers oh look huge side can we just talk about co-creation and what that you know what that means it's effectively what we do it's what we've always done it's just never been badged as such and if we talked about it in that way it would reframe everything we do things differently i'm sorry it's just like oh it's all to us to do again no it's not it's between the two of us and it should be an equal relationship between journalists and prs yeah it's an equal relationship we both need each other and it's both about what's in the public interest, not necessarily about you know whoever's paying. Us. I do, but I think there's so. I think that so in the defence of journalists, I think there's just so many PR people spamming out content as they always have done via news services and why via you know um, wire services, probably decision wire. 
uh, and an email database is probably a decision database. And I don't think that relationship is equitable at all. No, it's what I mean. We need a change, but it wouldn't... It's not... It's because come back. Are you to a flat. bit frustrated? It's just the same. Old. Get nearer the microphone, otherwise I'm going to my levels are going to be way out. But the flat Earth news. It's the backer to hold that whole book, and that's been out for however long now, and uh, it's the age-old argument. I just, it's, it's just about relationships, isn't it? One to one, knowing your market, knowing your audience. Okay, I took a good. I took researching. Don't tell me to research a publication before a pitch. No, providing data, providing SEO data and social media data as part of your pitch to a journalist, I think is probably a very good thing. Thanks for the tip. (laughs) God, we are jaded today, aren't we? Uh, I'm going to try try and insert a bit of excitement and let's talk about the Trump playbook and oh. the election that you've been part well we've, I suppose we've both been yes, had so parts on with, with the uh, devolution North of coming to North of Tyne um, it's, uh, it's been really interesting to see what engagement in the election process has been like now it's traditionally quite low around here but we got a reasonable turnout this time um, and this we had, is for the for a mayor for, for a the mayor North of town yeah region, because right? with every area that gets devolution you're obliged to have what's called a metro mayor so you mm. have to have elections a lot of people don't like the idea but quite frankly if you want the money from central government to be able to do with what you will it's appropriate to to the locality it's basically part of the deal so, so in the north of east well in the north of Tyne it was 20 million so yeah, it's a significant budget. Yeah, it's not it's not massive, not massive but we've got the opportunity to grow it and we've got to prove that we know what we're doing with it. Anyway, it's just really been really interesting to see how the kind of Trump playbook of communications is starting to push into the mainstream. Obviously, we saw it here with people like Boris Johnson during Brexit, you know, people, you know, making these sweeping statements that actually weren't tested, weren't substantiated, but actually gone into the mainstream and there's, were accepted. It's a really interesting Boris Johnson tweet on the day of the local elections where he tweeted that... And voted. He'd been out and voted, and there were elections in his local area. Yeah, and then quickly someone mentioned it and, he, and deleted it, it, but obviously, thankfully, someone did the wonderful screen grab thing. But you, you can see it moving into local politics. We had um, a candidate round here um, for one of the main parties, uh, and it's not the, the, the party that got elected, by the way, and he was busy tweeting testimonials without names attached and, uh, you know, conversations that I'd had with people. Now... Who knows whether those conversations happened because we can't substantiate it and we can't ask the person involved because, you know, it was just put out there as, as fact. But as communicators, as members of the general public, we've got responsibility to start questioning a bit more. Yeah, so I've actually written a blog post of this, not not inspired by politics in any way whatsoever, but just seeing uh, more and more speakers, public speakers in all walks of life, and that might be civic life, political life, or, or business leaders, using this colloquial language where you know they report conversations, maybe with members of the public, maybe their family, maybe customers, and they report them as fact, and there's absolutely no way of testing them, and that is straight out of the. Trump playbook. And we do get, you know, I totally appreciate that some journalists... People are saying. Yeah, but journalists, I totally get occasionally, there will be times when they need to protect their source. Oh, that's a very different thing. Yeah, I agree. It's a different different thing in this this situation here, in this context. But it's it's not okay, basically. And particularly when it matters, when you're going to have someone in a um, position of power, as it is with our mayor, Mm. for five years, you need to make sure you get the right person. And if you don't start to ask or challenge, or as I wrote a blog about, you know, start to call people out when you know something is factually inaccurate, well, then basically you you end up with what you deserve. Um, And I really strongly believe that. I think people, particularly, as I mentioned before, in a small area, which is like a village in the northeast, 
are very reticent to to say, hang on a minute, that's not true, particularly in a public forum. forum. But there are ways and means of doing it. And sometimes it's a case of saying, is that actually true? Can you substantiate it? Just just being factual about it is, is a good start. Yeah, and the you know, newsrooms, journalists, time press haven't got... Uh, you know, there's a few, actually, a few very good ones locally who've got a history, who who have got the knowledge to call people out, and actually did did a pretty good job. Yeah. Certainly, ITV and BBC News did. Um, Joe Pike at the ITV and then B- uh, Richard Moss at BBC, who did the Sunday. Both brilliant, show. brilliant yeah. local journalists, ro- rooted in the patch. Uh, in the local patch that, that did a cracking job. So let's just, the end of this story. So uh, John McCabe, who we supported, an independ- independent, independent candidate. candidate, also a public relations practitioner, runs an agency up in um, near Morpeth in, the, in Northumberland called Fusion, put up a really good, uh, ca- positive campaign, some really, really good points uh, in it. Uh, and during, you know, in a period of two or three weeks over the course of the campaign, created a groundswell of support and followers from among people that were just fed up with the, the shenanigans going on in, with two-party two politics. Main parties, two yeah. main parties, yeah. And the two main parties, you know, did what the two main parties did, unfortunately. Bickered. Um, unfortunately, you know... Labour grassroots is so strong in the North East that despite the relative strengths and weakness or weaknesses of, of the local candidate, he got in for Labour. Yeah. Well, we are where we are. John put up a great fight. And like I say, I, I thought it was really interesting that the positivity of his campaign really resonated locally. Yeah. And there were a lot of tweets saying, I can't, I don't know, I haven't got a home and I'm supporting an independent candidate for the first time. So it's really interesting to see the shift in people's approach and perceptions yeah. right now. Um, so that would be really good to see how this plays out, particularly if we end up with a, you know, a general election before too long. Yeah. OK. Um, that's it. Have you any uh, anything people should be reading? Anything you've read? Any anything tips? Should be reading? Ooh, no, not really. The news oh, yes. notebook. I like the news notebook. Yeah, Emily Maitlis. <laughs> Apart from the fact you can never get a name right. <laughs> it's the age. I don't know what to do with it. I had two really great books. Uh, I've given them to you, and they're on the boat now. I don't know where they are. So, so Airhead, uh, Emily's Emily's book is, is a brilliant book. It's just stories from from. Um, People she's interviewed on, on Newsnight. Actually, an interesting lesson comes out of that, that she interviewed Trump about six years ago uh, and no, a new number of characters uh, and, and always feels dissatisfied by never quite asking the questions uh, she feels she needed to uh, to ask. Brilliant, brilliant book by a brilliant journalist about current affairs. Do, do look it up. Okay, so the one that I got, which I actually think was well worth uh, looking up as well, is called The Joy of Work. And, oh, this is by uh, the Twitter guy. This is by Bruce Daisley, yeah. yeah. And it's just got some really interesting, straightforward, common sense tips in that actually you know, and but you should uh, putting into practice does make a bit of a difference. And right. it's about... You've been giving this to all your teams, haven't you? I've been handing this out <laughs> like candy floss. I really have, honestly. But it's just so good. And it talks about how you can be more effective by doing less. And also how to find the passion for your work again and actually make them up the workplace a more enjoyable place and um it's things something culture is something that a lot of us get hung up about and don't quite nail and this has just got some really simple fixes that i i, I would really recommend to everybody so that's the joy of not the joy of sex the joy of work <laughs> and uh an airhead yeah both 
both recommendations. Until next time, that's it. A wrap. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for uh, for listening. Uh, speak to you soon. See you on the internet. Thank you for listening to the Future Proof Podcast with Sarah Hall and Stephen Waddington. You can follow Sarah on Twitter at Hallmeister, that's H-A-L-L-M-E-I-S-T-E-R and Stephen at Wads, W-A-D-D-S. For more information about Future Proof, visit futureproofingcoms.co.uk. Until next time, see you on the internet.